Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. Um, I'm going to read that for us, pray, and then we'll just dive into the, to the scriptures this morning. Philippians 2, chapter, uh, Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him at the, uh, and bestowed him, on him the name above every name so that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray this morning. Father, just thank you. Uh, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that we just submit to it and we seek to obey it. Uh, Father, help us. Give us the strength. It is hard uh, to, to live this life and fight the temptations of the flesh. Father, um, this is not something that we can stand idly by and, and, and um, just partake in, but it's something we actively engage in is this walk um, towards likeness of Christ. Uh, Father, as we understand the Great Commission, uh, that we are commissioned to go, therefore, and make disciples, let your word be a lamp to our feet as we do that mission, as we accomplish your purposes uh, and do what you would have us do, not for our sake, not even for the sake of others, but for your sake, for the sake of your son's name, uh, and to him be all the glory and honor for all that we do in this life. In his name we pray, the holy name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. All right, so as we begin this passage, we, we see a, a connector word, as I would call it. It says, so, if there is any encouragement. So he's saying so. So what I understand when he's saying so, it, it hinges on the last two verses that he mentioned. Uh, so if we just back up two verses in 28, uh, chapter 1, verse 28, it says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your, not of their destruction, but of your salvation, uh, that from God. Um, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the very same conflict that you saw I had and now that I still have. So when we come to that word, so... We need to understand what he's talking about in this 11 verses that follow is an encouragement to suffer. He says in, in verse 29 there, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe but also suffer. The encouragement there is you don't just believe in the gospel. You don't just believe in Christ and what he did. You suffer for it. 
The Christian life, if you haven't realized it or not, is marked by suffering. We suffer for the cause of Christ. The world doesn't like us. They, they don't necessarily want to hear what Christ has to offer. But we, we, we actively and willingly go and tell them, and we want to do this. Right? It can be really easy to be comfortable and, and decide, hey, I, I don't really want to suffer. I don't think I get up in the morning, just to be honest. Maybe this is unveiling my heart a little bit. I don't get up in the morning like, man, this is going to be a great day to suffer. Like, <laughs> that's not my natural mode. My natural mode is I, I want to remain comfortable. I want to remain, I want today to be a good day. don't want anything to go wrong. Um, but the cause of Christ is one of suffering. And, and that term that he says, it is granted to you. It is a gift to suffer. What a joy it is to suffer for the sake of Christ. What a joy it is to partake, as we'll see later in this passage, to partake in the sufferings of Christ. Because we are joining into something that is divine, something that is greater than ourselves, something that is more important than we could ever imagine. I think that's what I've been learning through this book is, is <laughs> I guess through the Bible, is that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than I can even imagine. It is everything. It is the hinge at which our life swings. So if we are to be, as Paul says, encouraged in Christ, comforted, if we have participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy, we need to know that we are suffering in this and we need to know how we can be encouraged. So because we're suffering, we need, to, we need to remind ourselves, well, how can we be comforted in, in suffering? So uh, I, I would say my first point in this passage was, is to be like Christ together. That it would be, I, I think, the first, the, the first takeaway that I gather from this passage. The encouragement to be like Christ together. Because it's really like you have an individual responsibility to be like Christ, to conform your thoughts and your minds individually to Christ, um, uh, to, to, to who Christ is and, and what he, and his work that he did. You are to conform yourself like that. But the little secret here is it's impossible to do that by yourself. So you need to be like Christ and you need to do it together. That's, that's how we do this, and that's why I appreciate what you guys are doing, that you guys have fellowship. You have it built into your week because you are growing in Christ together. Comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy come from fellowshipping with one another. There are a lot of one another's in the New Testament. Um, it's really hard. <laughs> Let me rephrase. It is impossible to obey the New Testament without being in fellowship. There's a lot of one another's, right? You can't do one another without another. You have the one, yes, that's default, but you need a one another. Uh, so um, that's how we receive the comfort from love because we love one another, right? And we participate in the spirit, kind of that weird phrasing in this passage. I'm in the ESV. It says, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, meaning that you are not uh, not necessarily be obeying the spirit if you're not in fellowship with one another because it is, it is a, a command of the scripture that you would be with one another. 
So, um, and, and also, how can you receive affection and sympathy by yourself? You, <laughs> we can't. So we need other people to be around us that are encouraging us. Because, as we remind, it's not easy to suffer. We need to be encouraged in that, and we need to be moving towards that and unafraid. But we also need to remember that we're not in this alone. And it's okay to lean on one another. You can't, you can't do it alone. I feel like for a man, <laughs> right, the temptation is to be like, I got this. Come on, guys. I, <laughs> I can do it. Um, I think I, I, in, in my marriage, I do that a lot. I just want Mary to, to trust me, <laughs> like know that I've got it. I'm like, listen, babe, I got it. Like <laughs> you don't have to doubt. Um, you, you, you don't have to worry that you're ever going to. But that's, that's sinful of me. Because I don't got it. <laughs> There's many times where I drop the ball. And what I need to be doing to my wife more than just trying to point her towards me is point her towards Christ and have fellowship with her. And let her know and let her be comforted by the fact that there's other guys in my life that know what's going on in my heart and in my mind and, and what I'm doing. And I've been blessed to have a wonderful church in Little Rock and awesome co-workers that I, I, I get to have that. So um, the encouragement there, be in fellowship. Be like Christ and do it together. He moves on to say in, in, that, second, uh, in that second verse, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul rejoices over the unity of the body. When he's talking to this church in Philippi, he's saying, complete my joy. I rejoice that you are one body, that you are together unified. He desires that for them, to be unified in Christ. He desires them to think alike, to love the same things, and ultimately to function as one cohesive body together for the sake of Christ. That's what his desire is. Um, uh, Matthew Henry's commentary on uh, Philippians, he says that um, this could be interpreted as a way of complete the minister's joy. It is the minister's joy to see the body unified. So for the sake of Jonathan, be unified. For the, for the sake of all on staff who, who you call your shepherds and pastors, be unified in the body, but not for them only, for the sake of Christ. Because they rejoice over that. Your ministers rejoice over that. And don't you rejoice over that when you, when you are together and you are one. So he desires them to think alike, to love alike, to function as one. But we may ask, what is, how is this possible? How is it possible for everyone? I mean, if we just went around this room right now, how many different backgrounds would we have? People from different cities, different states, um, People been all over the country, different professions, skill sets, talents. We would just have an, a hodgepodge of <laughs> completely different people in this room. So how could we ever function as one? The, the, the answer is, is simple but not easy. It is conform our thinking to Scripture. Let Scripture, let God's revelation be the guide at which we stand on. Because Scripture is never wrong. I can be wrong. <laughs> we can be wrong. Scripture is never wrong. So if we conform our minds and thoughts and our affections to the things that Scripture does, 
then we can be unified in the Spirit. We can be unified and, and, and moving towards the goal, right? And, and ultimately, we know that means unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so when we uh, try to apply our own human wisdom and intellect to kingdom paradigms, as I would say, we find it hard to gain ground. Whenever we're in a room and we're trying to plan out strategies on, okay, what's the best way to minister? If we're doing that with our own human wisdom, I think we're missing the point. Not that human wisdom can't be applied, don't hear that, but if we forego scripture and go straight to human wisdom, I think we've missed it because that's not how we function. We live by the spirit. We don't live by human wisdom. We are aided by it, sure, but we live by the spirit. I think one of the ways this plays out is in our evangel uh, evangelistic efforts. Um, you guys may be familiar with this, but there is a, a big debate in the church world today about what's the best model of how to do church. And I would narrow it down into two different ways. There's the attractional model and there's the go and tell model, right? I would say these are in a nutshell, that's really minimizing it. Uh, the two main ways of doing church in the American stream. And they, there is just, it's heated. Like people are like, no, this is the best way. You're not, this is wrong. And, and back and forth and back and forth. And it's just like, okay, guys, like we can have this conversation. And I think, I, personally, I think it's a great conversation to have. We should have that conversation. But uh, we should be reminded that the conversation should be brought to bear through scripture. It shouldn't be, well, we can reach more people this way. Well, the numbers would look better this way. It should, it should be, hey, what does Scripture have to say about how you evangelize first? And then from there, you can move on to that discussion, right? I think that's just one practical way that it moves out, uh, um, moves into uh, um, the, the, the realistic, the day-to-day. The -day. Uh, so that's how we use our unique giftings together and, and agree on these things because we're all different. We're all going to have different ways of thinking like, no, I think that works better because of this thing in my background. And I just want to say, no, like, don't go there. Go to scripture. I think this is going to work because Jesus did it this way, right? Okay. Preaching to the choir. I know. Um, next verse, starting in verse three, says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Verse 3, uh, and, and the second point uh, of this passage, what I would say and what I would boil it down to is don't be like you. Don't be like you. And hear, the, hear me when I say that. Don't, like, change your personality or anything. You can't do that. Uh, be yourself in a sense. But don't be like you, and you are selfish, <laughs> right? It, when I look in the mirror... I am sinner. <laughs> like, I want to do things for myself. But we, we need to remind ourselves that we are sinful. Just because we partake in the Spirit, just because the, the Spirit lives within us, doesn't mean we're immune to the temptations of sin. No. We have a very real responsibility to fight against sin. And even then, we might try to do noble things for sinful reasons. That's hard. <laughs> you might try to do a noble thing for a sinful reason. I fight, I would say, a very real battle of doing things out of reputation or respect. I, I think that would be, if I, had to, if I had to highlight it, one of my main struggles on a daily basis. 
Because I, I want to do good things, but often when I, when I find myself slipping back and drifting towards, towards uh, my sinful flesh, I find myself wanting to do those things for the praise of others. I want my bosses to tell me, Troy, you're doing great. Like, you're doing a great job. I want the people that I respect to think that I'm awesome. I want, probably even this morning, I want you guys, like, as I go out of here to think, man, Troy, that was the greatest sermon uh, lesson ever. (laughs) Um, But that's not why I should, that's not where my heart should be. I can do a noble thing for a sinful reason. Instead, I should be removing selfish ambition and conceit from my heart. I should be putting on Christ. Uh, so instead of, like, for, for the ministry that I work for, we recruit students throughout the summer. Instead of recruiting students for the sake of, like, oh, look how many students I can get to do my thing, I should say, look how many students need to learn of what it means to make disciples. Look, look how many, like, I want people to study the Bible for nine months straight. Like, I want people to know God in a greater and deeper way. That would be doing noble things for noble reasons. But sometimes it just drifts uh, into selfish and, and, and sinful reasons. So I have to fight that. I have to put that off. But it says the command in, in, in inverse to that, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant. Instead of falling into our pool to sin, there is a command in this passage right here. There's a command to pursue righteousness. Count others more significant than yourselves. That is, Paul, Paul is writing here to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, do that. Count others more significant than yourselves. You, it is a reminder to us that we have to actively do that. You don't defaultly think of others before yourself. You think about yourself before others. That is, that is our, our default state. So instead of doing this, we push for righteousness. Instead of the pull to sin, we push for righteousness. In order to look to the interests of others, as he says, we have to actively engage. We have to know what's going on in their lives. We have to know what they care about, know what they love, be available when they need us. That's how we count others as more significant. And we remind ourselves that we're, we're not to be selfish. Uh, D.A. Carson says it like this concerning um, um, our drift away from holiness. He says, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness. Prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide, excuse me, we slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. As a young guy in ministry, I'm, I'm very young in this the thing that I've seen more than legalism has been licentiousness. Us, us together using our, our freedom in Christ as a means to take advantage of the Spirit. 
take advantage of the freedom that we've been given, we drift towards godlessness, I would say. We drift away from holiness because uh, we, we just, it's so much easier to do nothing, right? It, is, it, it takes energy to, to live this way. So instead of just observing, in, in my interactions personally, you may have a different um, experience, but I think way more than spiritual legalism, we've interacted, or I've engaged with spiritual licentiousness, the permission to do whatever. And, and it just reminds me of Romans. Shall we sin so that grace may abound? By no means. We should pursue obedience. Now, there, there should be a nuance there, and I feel like I have to say it. Do not just try to follow the, the rules and think that that will save you or bring you to a greater faith. No, like, obedience is not the thing that saves you. The, the, the gospel is what saves you that then leads you to obedience, right? We need to order it rightly. So, let me just give that nuance. Um, he goes on to say, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus, the only way we are able to live in this righteous way that God has commanded us is to live through Christ. If our mind is not attuned to his work, then it is impossible to live righteously. Uh, flip over a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would like, if you have your Bibles this morning. Um, I think this, I mean, uh, helps uh, illuminate that, that point of having our, our mind uh, having this mind together, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Um, the only way to live righteously is God to command us through Christ. It's not, it's our mind uh, attuned to his work. Uh, chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now, uh, now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we have all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the free gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? Good works. Good works. We are having this mind in Christ Jesus for his sake. If you remember at the beginning of the passage. Next, I would say my third point is follow the perfect example of humility. The perfect example of humility. Um, starting in verse 6, he says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality to God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, 
verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The way that we are going to achieve the, the humility that is commanded in this passage, the humility to count others as more significant than ourselves, to humble ourselves, is to follow the perfect example of humility. If, if there was ever a man that had, to, that, that had permission to forego humility, it was Jesus Christ. And yet, what does this passage say? In humility, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. God himself, we should, we should often remind ourselves that God did not have to come to earth. He did, he did not have to save any of us, but he did. He entered into his own creation, something that he was outside of, something that he had brought into being. He entered into it for our sake. So if there was ever permission for someone to say, you know what, I have a right to not be humble. Like I am, like, I am the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He's meant to be exalted, but he humbles himself. We follow in that same example. And it is a big, wonderful example of humility. And the way I think it's helpful to characterize this is from C.S. Lewis. Uh, he, he characterizes humility in this way. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humili the humility that Christ displayed was not him lowering himself, he was not emptying himself of anything divine or anything less worthy. He was emptying himself for the sake of, of the status of, of his position for a moment to die for our sins. And we follow in that and, and, and we follow in that and humble ourselves as well uh, by thinking of ourselves less and thinking of Christ more. We look to Christ as our perfect, humble example. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Likewise, we must also die to ourselves. Our sinful affections for this world, our temptations to live for ourselves, we put to death and we live for Christ because he is our perfect example. The last point that I'll leave you guys with today is the reason we suffer is because Christ first suffered. Verse 9, um, closing the passage. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have assurance in our hope amidst our suffering because of the suffering of Christ. We look to the cross and we see when he atoned for our sins on the cross, when he gave his last breath and sin was no more, we look at that and we see that the, the greatest suffering that existed on the cross in that moment, paying payment for all sin, we can, we can understand that our suffering is worth, worth it. 
it is worth it because we know he first suffered. He suffered way greater than we will ever suffer. We may be crucified in this life. Who knows? It's 2022. Life is crazy. Um, But we will never bear the weight of sin like he did. Christ's death is unique, not because crucifixion was a unique death way to die. That happened all the time. His death was unique because he was bearing the weight of sin that clung him to the cross. So when we look to that and we reflect on that, we can understand that our suffering isn't all that bad. It, it, it is bad sometimes, but it's not all that bad. And we can endure it because we have our hope in him. And, and these few verses that also assure us that because we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. We will be with him one day, exalted above the heavens. The name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We know how this story ends. Christ will be exalted. It is a foregone conclusion. He will be exalted. He is coming back, hopefully sooner rather than later. He is coming back. A question is, which one of those groups are we going to be in? Are we going to be in heaven, on earth, or under the earth? There are three groups there. We, we may be waiting for Christ's return, all those on earth, waiting for Christ's return, saved, unsaved, living on earth. We may be in heaven, those who are saved, gone delivered to be with Christ, waiting on his return to bring things uh, to, to a new creation, a new, a new perfect world. Or we also may be under the earth, unsaved, condemned because of our sins and our failure to repent and trust in Christ. Those are three groups. And the interesting thing about all three of those groups is they will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. doesn't matter doesn't matter what they believe, what, what they think. They will all acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we rejoice that we get to engage and, and, and be a part of the body, the one who is going to be exalted. This is a remarkable encouragement for the believer, a remarkable uh, push to, to endure all that may come in your life because we do know how the story ends. And this is why we were granted it is a gift to suffer for the sake of Christ because you're doing it for his good and perfect purposes. We're doing it, we're doing it to partake in the future reward that is to come, the glory of Christ and reigning with him for all of eternity so we can rejoice and be glad in our suffering. You may suffer today. So as we, as we close this morning, uh, as, I, as I finish up here, just the encouragement to, um, amidst all of your daily struggles, weekly struggles, yearly struggles, suffer and do it for the sake of Christ. Looking to others, count others as more significant than yourselves. When Jesus was asked the, the greatest, what is, what is the greatest commandment, what did he say? To love God, love others. Today, that is our same commission. Love God, love others for the sake of Christ. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you just for your word, uh, that it is an encouragement to us, uh, that we just uh, love to um, 
rejoice in our sufferings, Father. Uh, uh, help us to not grumble. Help us to not uh, grow weary amidst the suffering, Father, because it is hard. The flesh is weak. We are so tempted to turn from you and turn to ourselves and our own selfish desires, ambition, and conceit. But, Father, you call us to a greater calling. Um, you call us to live for you and count others as more significant than ourselves because, Father, we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for you and the mission that you gave us to share your gospel with all nations. Father, we need to count others as more significant than ourselves. Uh, not because we think we're lesser than anyone, Father. We know our value. It is in you. You created us in your image. But, Father, we rejoice in the fact that we get to, to share your message and your gospel. That is why we count others as more significant, so that they may know you, so that they may come to a right faith and a right belief of who you are and one day be with you and exalted in the heavens as we will live for all of eternity. Father, as we gather today, as we go out, remind us that our mission is to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Give us the strength and power to do that. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.